You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Beyond the Game. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Game, the podcast that takes you off the field and into the lives of former athletes, exploring the remarkable journeys they undertake after their careers. I'm your host, as always, Kendall Gammon. But first, Beyond the Game is made possible by our generous sponsor, Crown Automotive of Lawrence, Kansas, home to Crown Toyota and Crown Volkswagen. We're proud to have Miles Schler, the visionary owner of Crown Automotive, supporting our mission to share these incredible stories with you. Miles, as always, thank you so much. Great friend, great uh, partner. And with an unwavering commitment to excellence and customer satisfaction, visit crownautomotive.com and discover the Crown difference. Uh, Today, we jump into the trenches. With a former KC Chiefs offensive lineman, he was the second pick in the 1991 draft and the 50th pick overall. Please welcome now former Kansas City Chiefs offensive tackle, Joe Valero. Joe um, Valerio, sorry. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Kendall, great to be with you, man. This is a great way to connect with the KC community uh, you know, across, this, across the country here on the East Coast and loved, uh, absolutely loved our time in Kansas City and you know, holds a very special place in our heart. Uh, for my wife, Jennifer, and me. Uh, it's very cool. Now, uh, you and I connected recently uh, when Dante Hall, the X Factor, was uh, put into the Hall of Fame, and that was a good time. That's where we decided we were going to to do this. Um, you obviously uh, stay involved with the Chiefs, or at least follow them. Um, as you watch, not only this year, but in the past, I mean, what are you seeing this year that, that really stands out to you? I'm curious, at, I'm curious as a former offensive lineman, what you see. Well, I mean, coming from just speaking on the from the offensive perspective, you know, obviously right now the struggles a little bit offensively seem to be happening at the receiver position, right? And uh, you know, I think finding their way of getting that like number one receiver that every NFL team is always looking for has been has been their challenge. And you know, I watch a lot of Philadelphia games because I live here in Philadelphia. I grew up an Eagles fan, yep. and you know, I watch what's happening with like an AJ Brown and the difference that it makes. Not that the Eagles or the Chiefs don't have Travis Kelsey as their right. air quote number one receiver, but you know, he's not a true wide receiver. Man, I, I keep telling myself if if the Chiefs had a guy like AJ Brown, I'm telling you, I think they could go 16 and one. Um, yeah. it, it, that's how good they are offensively. It's the, the playbook they have, you know, what Patrick Mahomes is capable of the weapons that they have with Travis Kelsey and this fantastic offensive line, which is obviously, if not one of the best, the best in all the NFL. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that little, little thing that every NFL team has to worry about. It's that one Achilles heel, so to speak, that they feel like they have. And I think this year it seems to be, you know, uh, the wide receiving core, not that they're all not great guys and great players, right. right. Not to be critical of them, but they just don't have that one standout that's going to, Create double coverage, you know, that's going to be on the minds of every defensive back as they as they jog out onto the field. So offensively, that's what I'm kind of seeing. I see a lot of improvement in the playbook, but I also don't see that sort of threat that they have in the passing game that they've had in the past. Yeah, and uh, you, know, I think it's worth noting. Uh, I do this as well. Uh, you haven't been around the NFL a while, and me as well. Me as well. Um, it's funny when you start talking about guys and and. Uh, you know, maybe they're not performing as well. Some guys get so uh, agitated or, or sometimes hurt or uh, disrespected because you say they're not playing as well. But like, it, it, it's funny how I think we we uh, 
preference things with, you know, not trying to get all of them and this or that, but it's, it's amazing to me uh, in the NFL that uh, so many guys sometimes can, can, can have some free, fragile egos at times. I know I did at times. I'm curious uh, your, your thoughts uh, when you come in, uh, you know, you're, you're a second round pick 50th overall, you come out of Penn or Ivy league school. Uh, just talk to, talk to our listeners a little bit about that first. And then I'll go on because I mean, the awards you've gotten since then, the things you did in, in, in college and everything is amazing. I want to mention them. I know you won't. That's why I will. But I'm just curious your thoughts when you were coming into this league. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, coming out of Penn, right? I mean, yeah, I had I had to fight the whole, you know, thing. I, I like to ask people would ask all the time, how was it playing for Joe Paterno? I was like, oh, I didn't go to Penn State. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was blocking Biff McNutty from Harvard, and then I'm going against Reggie White and Howie Long, like and Derek Thomas yeah. and Neil Smith. Like, yeah. wait, I'm like, wait a minute, what just happened? And, and I have to be honest, you know, I think the Chiefs took a shot on, on me because, you know, I didn't have the pedigree, right? I didn't play against the competition. They saw some things that I was doing physically in the Ivy League, and then maybe – you know, I played in one all-star game um, at uh, at the East-West Shrine game and got a chance to go against some some better competition that I, you know, had played against in college on a daily basis. I mean, Kendall, to put it into perspective, you know, I show up my rookie year, come for, in for minicamp in May after the draft, and I see Christian Okoye in the locker room, yeah. okay? The guy's six foot three. He weighs 265, 270 pounds. He runs a four, what, five, four, four, four. Yeah. And I'm going, wait Crazy. a minute. I, I'm going to block for him. Like he's bigger than any defensive tackle or defensive end that I played against in the Ivy league. And he was our tailback. So that puts a little bit of it into perspective of what my trajectory was going to look like, you know, as a, as, as an NFL player. And, and I think, you know, um, I, I, I always wanted to do whatever I could to get, to get out on the field and, and give it my all and played multiple positions and, you know, they need me at center, I'll, I'll back up Tim Grunhard. They need me at guard, I'll back up Zotter. You know, they need mm-hmm. me at right tackle, I'll back up Rich Baldinger. You know, I just did whatever I could to get out on the field. And and heaven knows with the whole touchdown thing, that was a whole other utility player thing that yeah. I, you know, that I found. So, you know, for me, it was all about getting out on the field and making an impact wherever I could and playing special teams, long snapping, doing whatever I could to get out on the field. So number one, to answer your question, I was so fortunate to have been you know, to have been drafted that high, and it just felt so good that a team would 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 take a risk like that. But there's a whole story behind that whole draft thing that maybe we'll have some time to share. Absolutely, no, I, I definitely want to get into it. I'm I'm curious. Well, first and foremost, for our listeners, if you don't know, because uh, Joe talked about that whole uh, that touchdown thing, you were four for you had four catches for seven yards, I believe, and four touchdowns. That's not bad. Well, I feel, I, I always joke. I, I was Chris Carter before Chris Carter was Chris Carter, right? I only scored touchdowns. <laughs> They always used to joke about that. I lived every lineman's dream, right, Kendall? I mean, come on. Oh, like you just toiled in the trenches your whole career like yeah. I did. And all of a sudden, I remember coming home from Little League tryouts, uh, Pop Warner, you know, the little mini combine that we had when I was seven years old. And yeah. I was so sad because, you know, they told me I was going to be playing right guard. And I came home and I was like, right guard? I mean, my dad wears deodorant called right guard. What the heck is right guard? I didn't even know. I wanted to be the quarterback. I wanted to be the receiver. I wanted to be a running back. Right. That's what I grew up in my backyard doing. And my dad was like, son, he said, you, no, no, no. He goes, you got to be, he goes, you're, it's going to be great. I said, dad, how is it going to be great? When am I going to get my name in the paper? He goes, well, when you jump off sides on fourth down. And I said, when am I going to get cal- called on the loudspeakers? When you get a holding penalty? I was like, wait a minute, yeah, dad, exactly. this isn't, this isn't working out. He said, no, he said, son, you have to, you have to understand as an offensive lineman, 
you are going to be playing a position where you're you're it's the only position in all of sports you can't name a sport now there are other there are other sports where where a player protects a goal but it's right. the only position in all of sports where your your sole job is to protect another player the only mm -hmm. only job in all of sports and he said you have to find joy in that so when you're at the bottom of the pile and you got fingers in your eye and knees in your back and you watch number 32 go over the, the pile and score a touchdown and every all the cheerleaders cheer and they get their name on the loudspeaker. You have to find joy in that. And I've been trying to take that philosophy with me my whole life, Kendall, that, you know, have the lineman's mentality that, you know, you find joy in other people scoring touchdowns. And it was something that I was, it was great advice that my dad gave me and I think helped me really appreciate being an offensive lineman until that one fateful day when I did get to hear my name on the loudspeaker at Arrowhead for scoring a touchdown, which took that to a whole nother level. I, I can't even imagine, honestly, I, um, you know, my, my main job is long snapping. I know you did some long snapping as well. You know, I never even actually ran out of the tunnel because I was always out early with the putters and the kickers. So I never even got that, that thrill. But again, I mean, having a chance to be in Arrowhead, the world's loudest stadium is, is just unreal. Now I want to go over some things you went to Penn, uh, Pennsylvania. I think you made, it said you majored in economics. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was an economics yeah. major at Penn. Okay, and so 1988, you were the only sophomore to letter uh, on a team that went nine and one. You won the Ivy League championship. 89, you were voted most improved player uh, as a junior. I, I think it said the Bagnell Award, uh, if I'm pressing it right. And then yeah. 90, you were the team captain. You were preseason All-American. You won the Bednarik Award for the team's top lineman, the Munger Award for being the team's MVP, as well as first team Ivy League for a second straight year. You were first team All-America, Associated Press, and Walter Camp. Uh, and selected to play in the East-West sh uh, Shrine game. Um, later inducted into the Pennsylvania Athletics Hall of Fame in 2005. I'm bringing all that up because uh, I, I honestly, I want to hear your words. I don't understand why somebody of your caliber, I'm not getting on pen, but there's, there's better football schools. Did you have a chance to go somewhere else? Or were you a late bloomer? Or did you just decide that you had a chance to go to an Ivy League school and that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, that's a, those are all great questions and, and very insightful, Kendall. But I think the thing that probably tells the story of uh -huh. my progression out of all of the, you know, thank you for mentioning those accolades. That, you know, was, those were, I always say that they were accomplished by a team, um, right. you know, and, and, and in, things you do as an individual, as a football player, never yourself. But but the the thing that tells the story the most was that that 1989 Reds Bagnell, who was a great quarterback and and specialty player at Penn and and uh -huh. in, in some of their in some of their heyday and getting that most improved award was probably the 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 award or sort of the accolade that tells the story the most because I was a late bloomer. Kendall, I thought I was going to play baseball in college. Uh, wow. I I was when I was a sophomore in high school, I was five foot ten, one hundred and fifty five pounds. And I didn't, wow. I didn't, I didn't miss any zeros, right? I was 155 pounds as a sophomore. So I was, I was about 16 years old at the time, 15 wow. going on 16. I was five foot 10. I came now and catching, playing catcher was my dream. I, I absolutely, and I love football. I love playing, but I played baseball in my brain all, all the time. Like I was always catching games in my head and I played baseball from, you know, February 1st, as soon as we could do pitchers and catchers all the way through when football training camp started in the middle to late August, baseball was, was a real love of mine. And I thought I was actually going to play baseball in college. And, um, and then all of a sudden my junior year, I went from five ten 
my sophomore year to six foot four and a half my, oh, to my junior year. So I grew almost six and a half inches in a year, in one calendar year. But the problem was, Kendall, I only gained about 15 or 20 pounds. <laughs> so, yeah, I bet. I, I, you know, I never, touched, I never touched a weight. It was not a big thing back in the late, mid to late 80s, right? Just lifting weights just wasn't. We had a one universal machine in our high school. Yeah, I you know went around it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I didn't even know how to use it. So, you know, <laughs> I was, more, and, I, and I played four sports in high school. I, I wrestled up until my sophomore year until I became six foot four because when you're six foot four, 175 pounds, there is no weight class for you. Like that, that was <laughs> wrestling was going to be a disaster. Yep. So I'm, I, I, I took the winter off. So I did football in the fall. I did uh, winter track and, and wrestling. And then, um, I did baseball all spring and summer. And then my senior year, I decided to go out for basketball since I gave out, I gave up wrestling. Cause like I said, there was no weight class for me. So right. I loved playing multiple sports. And then all of a sudden, my senior year, you know, I was I was six foot four and a half, almost six five. I weighed about 217, 215 pounds, soaking wet. So I was not on the radar of a lot of schools. And 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 it's funny because our quarterback who played for the Chiefs, Matt London, we were high school buddies. A lot of people, some oh, people okay. remember it, a lot yes. of people forget, but he was a, a quarterback in the NFL for five years, went to Virginia, played two sports there, was second round pick in 1992. We've been friends since we were five years old. Wow. And, and Matt, you know, decided he wanted to play basketball in college and he, he didn't play football until later on, but, um, Penn state was probably where everybody thought he was going to go and play football. He was literally the number one recruited player in, in the entire country. Uh, my, our senior year in high school, six foot seven, you know, 240 pound mm-hmm. quarterback. He was yeah. through the ball rope, eight yards. And, you know, the coach from Penn state, uh, was recruiting. You know, well, Joe Paterno obviously was the head coach, and, and unfortunately, or you know, whatever, J- yeah. Johnson he was the recruiting coordinator for for the county that I grew up in, outside of Philadelphia and Delaware County. And he basically told our head coach, he said, "Hey, you know," well, our head coach told him, said, "Hey, you know, you got this kid Valerio. He's six foot five. He's got a big frame. What would you think about?" And and Coach Sandusky told my head coach, he said, "Look, he's he's too slow. He's too skinny, and he'll never never play at Penn State." So that was kind of the looks that I was getting. And, you know, um, it just, I just hadn't, I hadn't bloomed. I hadn't really, and so Penn, you know, took a shot on, on a kid and I got recruited mostly by FCS schools, then Mm -hmm. called one double a, you know, um, you know, it was a couple of Ivies, Brown, Penn, um, not that was, those were really the only two Ivy league schools that showed any interest. Um, I took a visit to William and Mary, which was a scholarship one double a school. They didn't offer me any money and there was no way I was affording getting to college without some financial aid or something, um, with my background. And, 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 um, you know, that, that was really it. It was like James Madison, a couple of division three schools and, and it really just wasn't there. And at Penn is where I just started. Like I didn't have to fight my three brothers for food anymore. So I could actually right. gain weight. Wow. I got introduced to an incredible weight training program um, at Penn. We had a fantastic strength coach named Charlie Pacman. He threw six bananas, Kendall, on my tray my freshman year when I showed up. And he said, hey, Valerio, uh, I want you to eat six of these with every meal. And I said, coach, six bananas every meal? I said, why? He goes, you ever see a small gorilla? So <laughs> uh, just, you know, like, like, like I just, I fell in love with lifting weights and I went oh, from, you know, I, I went into Penn around two thirty, 
And then it was, you know, by the time my freshman year ended, I was 260 and then it was 275 and then it was 295 and it was 305. Like I just kept gaining weight little by little as it, it went on. And I just really found a passion for, for lifting and, and improving my, you know, my physical skills. That is awesome. Okay. We're going to take a break and we come back more. Uh, when we come back, we're going to listen more about your life off the field and talk about your post-career things. What's up, Chiefs Kingdom? This is Tucker Franklin from KC Sports Network. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure to follow us and subscribe for more Chiefs content wherever you get your podcast. If you want to support us further, you can shop the latest collection of KC Sports Network merch in partnership with Sandlot Goods. You can find hats, shirts, hoodies, and more at sandlotgoods.com. You can click the link in the description for more information. Hey everyone, this is BJ Kissel. We'll get right back to the show. I just need a minute to share some important news, but as always, thank you for the support. The KCSN Foundation just launched our third annual Soul of KC Holiday Raffle and Toy Drive, and it benefits Operation Breakthrough's Christmas Store. This campaign has raised more than $35,000 over the past two years, helping provide a better Christmas for kids in our community. And it's simple. We sell raffle tickets for a chance to win any of the more than 20 fantastic prizes that we have available this year. It's things like a Travis Kelsey autographed full-size Chiefs helmet or a Chris Jones autographed jersey, a George Karloftis jersey. How about a Patrick Mahomes autographed mini helmet? We've got gift cards to local restaurants like Capitol Grill, Mission Taco Joint, or Third Street Social. You can find the full list of prizes on our social media accounts, or you can click the link in the description of this show. Again, All of the proceeds go to buying presents for Operation Breakthrough's Christmas store, and you can get tickets now through December 4th. Help us continue to help others, because that's what the KCSN Foundation is all about. For all your new Toyota or Volkswagen needs, look no further than Miles Schnares Crown Automotive in Lawrence, Kansas. Call 785-843-7700 or visit them online at crownautomotive.com. Crown Automotive. Experience the crown difference. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, we're back with Joe Valerio, former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman. Joe, I love hearing about all this stuff, and I, I, I'm curious. Clearly, you were a great student, or you, you must have been. You, you don't go to Penn without having uh, some acumen there. Just talk about that side of things as well, because I don't know. I'm imagining, I'm going to guess it's not going to be completely wrong, but I mean, it's academics first, and, and then it's football. And if people are sitting there thinking, "Well, that's how it is at all schools." Now, it's it, it's not that way at all schools. It's it's uh, certainly the opposite. But uh, I'm just curious how it was balancing them out and, and how you dealt with that. Yeah, it was. You know, going to a school like Penn, obviously, it's not a football factory. I mean, the last right. you know professional athlete that it, that I had seen at least while I was there was a guy named Brent Novoselsky who played tight end for the Vikings, got a free agent tryout. Uh, he was a couple years ahead of me. He was kind of a mentor of mine, um, but you know, for him, it was a struggle. You know, he he to, to hang on. He always felt like he was on the bubble. Played a lot of special teams. Um, you know, before that, you know, there was a guy named Marty Peterson who graduated in '86, who got a free agent tryout with the Cowboys, didn't make it past camp. So, I'm looking at the NFL. I'm going, all right. Look, I'm at Penn. I'm just going to take advantage of being the best football player I can be, but right. knowing that these four years are going to set me up to go out into the world and, 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 you know, be a productive member of society, uh, as a, as a professional and wh whatever I chose, whether it was to be going education or into business, I knew that my odds of going to the NFL were, were slim to none, you know, just, mm -hmm. just, just based on the past history. And, and, exactly and, and right. I, it's not that I didn't want to do it, Kendall. It's not that I didn't have a dream or an aspiration that I could be that one player that right. came out of the Ivy league, um, that year and made it. But I, there was like a, a realist, a realism to it, and, and it was thanks to my dad and, and and just for keeping me grounded. But but the funniest thing, Kendall, about my my journey into the NFL, my wife Jennifer and I have been dating since high school, and you know she, we we dated all through high school, all through college, and then obviously we're still you know happily married today, you know going on uh, what is it almost 30, 31, 32 years now of marriage, and and. Um, and and so 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 my wife is she's the kind of person who always has a plan for everything and and I, I love that about her she's very organized and and I sometimes fly by the seat of my pants and you know she keeps me keeps me grounded and, and on track and when, when we were in college right before my senior year my junior year went pretty well as you mentioned I got some accolades and things but like mm -hmm. there was there was talk of a possibility that I could be like a free agent like I'd get like a free agent right. tryout got contacted by a couple of agents and. Um, you know, a couple of teams had come by to grab film. Believe it or not, we were still using oh, 16 yeah, millimeter right. film back right. then. <laughs> and and so my wife said to me one day, she said, "You know, Joe, you're going into your senior year here. It was just, this was the end of my junior year." And she said, um, "You need to get an internship, buddy. Like, because I was working at day camps and and I was so focused on football and school that I wasn't really thinking about that whole mm -hmm. life beyond football." And and she said, "You know, I was." She was she was friends with all of my friends because she was like all their little sister, and so she'd right. see their their progression through college. And she's like, you know, your roommate Pat, he's got a job on on Wall Street this summer as an intern. Like, are you going to do something like that? And I said, nah, I like working at the day camps. And Kendall, I'm making like three dollars and fifteen cents an hour, right? And she and she says, well, you know, Jeff's going to be working at the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Are you going to do something like that? And I'm like, all right, all right. I get the hint. I get the hint. So exactly. I go, I go down to the football office and I meet with our head coach. I said, hey, Coach Steele, I said, is there any chance that you could help me hook up with some alums or whatever, get an internship this summer, maybe something financial services related? I'm an economics major. So oh, I got a perfect guy for you. I'm going to introduce you to this guy, Otto McGowan. He was a big football supporter. 
gets me an internship at Kidder Peabody, which was a boutique investment firm in Philadelphia, national presence, but they had a nice operation in Philly. So my dad, right? He's now Kendall. I have one pair of dress slacks, polyester dress slacks that are way too tight. Uh, I had one dress shirt. It was short sleeved and I had two ties and they were way too short. Uh, I didn't even own a blazer. Okay. (laughs) So um, I, I, I was, Going on probably at this point, going into my senior year, I'm probably I probably weigh 310 pounds. I'm ripping out of my shirt. I looked like Mr. Incredible, you know, going stuffing himself into the car in the cubicle. Yeah, right. I drove, you know, we 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 had the, we had one car in our family, and it was this tiny little Honda Accord. And I used to cram into it with my dad, and he'd drive me to the train station. And every morning he'd drive me, he said, Son, my dad was a professional boxer, Kendall. So he oh, he was he was a South Philly guy, very 10th grade educated, but the wisest guy I, in, in my life, wisest guy I knew. He says, listen, you're going to go to that office today. And you're going to do the work and you're going to do it humbly. You hear me? And now my dad was not a threatening person. He was very kind. Right. I also knew that he was a professional boxer in the Rocky Marciano, you know, Joey Giardello era. He trained with Joe Giardello, was middleweight champ of the world. And I knew how tough he was. He was a truck driver, warehouseman. And even though yeah. he was 65 pounds, I was not messing with my dad at three, even at three ten. I my dad when he talked, and he said, "You're going to go to the work and do it humbly, and whatever anybody asks you to do, you're going to do it." And and I used to, and 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 I said, "Dad, I got it." He'd be like, "No, like repeat after me," because he knew Kendall. He knew if there was a time in my life I could have been a total jerk, that was a time I was right with an Ivy League football team. Try to feel in yourself a little bit. I, I way out kicked my coverage in the girlfriend department, right? Uh-huh. I, I, you know, I was a preseason all American and, and I, and I, I kind of had the world going for me at this point and he, he just kept grounding me. And so when I went to that office, I'm telling you, Kendall, I was there first. I was trying to be the first person in the office. He dropped me off on an early train. I tried mm-hmm. to stay as late as I could, but I always packed a huge lunch. I always caught the train to go get my workouts in. Like they knew how dedicated I was. He used to tell me, you treat everybody at the office the same, from the person who comes in at night to clean the trash cans to the person yep. in the corner office. You treat everybody the same with respect and dignity, and and you just you you just do whatever they ask you. I mean, Kendall, I clean coffee pots. I move furniture. Mm-hmm. I, used to, I used to get on the train and walk through the city or into the suburbs and, and hand deliver checks to people personally. And I'm going to fast forward six months later to the NFL combine when I'm sitting in a hotel room meeting Carl Peterson, president, Marty Schottenheimer, head coach, and Howard Mudd, offensive line coach. And I'm sitting in, the, in in a hotel room with them and they're like, so Joe, how how you know, how you doing? And they're interviewing you, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give them all the interview answers I need to give them. You know, and of course they ask that crazy question like, hey, we saw in your medical records when you were playing uh, baseball in eighth grade, you broke your forearm. Like, is that healed? I'm like, oh my God, these guys really do their homework. And like, exactly. You're right. So, so, you know, we're kind of having some laughs about it. And then finally, Carl Peterson asked me the last question. He says, Joe, I got one last question for you. We'll let you go. Tell me about your internship at Kidder, Kidder Peabody this past summer. And I went, wow. Like, so, you know, my dad always taught me to interject a little bit of humor where you can. And I said, I said, Mr. Peterson, with all due respect, I have no idea what, what running into other 300 pound guys really fast has to do with, you know, a financial institution internship. And he laughed. He said, no, Joe, it has everything to do with it. He goes, do you remember a gentleman by the name of Tim Sennett? I said, oh yeah, Mr. Sennett was the big mahoff. That was my dad's term. I said, okay. he was the managing director and he ran the office. And he said, well, did, did you get to spend any time with him? I said, well, he took us to lunch one day, took the interns to lunch. And um, 
I'd see him in the office, but we really didn't get a chance to interact that much. He said, well, he said, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you don't know the relationship. He said, because um, I need to tell you something. He said, you know, Tim Sennett and I are best of friends. Um, and, and we go all the way back to college, back to our UCLA wow. days. And he said, what we, what he told me about you and the way you handled that internship when he interviewed people in the office about you and, and how you were handling yourself, he said, you know, that's the reason why we're going to draft you next month in the NFL draft. Wow. Interesting. And I was like, wow. Like he said, so what's the lesson? And I said, well, I guess Mr. Peterson, I said, I guess you never know who's watching. And he said, that's exactly right. He said, Lamar Hunt, our owner, who you will have the pleasure of meeting, he said, he wants people in the locker room who are going to do the right thing even when no one's watching. Because everybody who comes to the combine can run and jump and block and right. tackle and throw and do all that stuff. We've seen you play, Joe. We've seen you play. We've seen the film. He said, we we want the guys in the locker room who are going to do the right thing even when no one's watching. And I, and I really attribute that internship to the fact that I rose up in the draft because I don't feel like any other team would have taken a shot on me had I not had that personal connection right. to Carl Peterson and 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 him knowing me and, and knowing some of, of the character that I, I got a chance to to portray during that internship. Wow, that's that's interesting. So many great lessons for, uh, for that. And we'll talk about it here at the, a little bit later. And let, make sure people know how to get a hold of you because I know you do a lot of speaking as well uh, and things like that. And I'm sure those are some of the stories you weave in. I, I'm curious um, because you, you played... I've, was it six years or seven years? I, I got six, to six, six, six years total. Had that cup of coffee with the Rams toward the end. Rams, um, okay. you know, after I got let go by KC and had that back injury in Monterey, Mexico. When I when Kendall, I was actually making the switch to tight end. Um, okay. I had had very significant conversations with 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 uh, Coach Schottenheimer about making the move to tight end um, and actually changing my number for the nineteen ninety six wow. season. And I was uh, I was slated to play the second half of every game, every preseason game, as the full full blown tight end, uh, as the third tight end. Um, and you know, I hurt my back in Monterey, and I missed you know pretty much all of preseason, and that just kind of set me back. Right, and uh, you know, really, you know, kind of was the was the beginning of of the end, so to speak. And you know, that's that old saying: when the coach stops yelling at you, it's time to worry. And they stopped yelling at me, and I was—I knew that the end was coming. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, long story long, but yeah, that was the—that was the six years. Well, that's—that's that's interesting that you bring up that context because where I was going with this is, um, if you can, to your degree, I'm curious your thoughts on how you how you dealt with the pressure each and every year of trying to make the team. Because for the people out there that are listening that don't know, I mean, it may seem obvious, but I mean. It's, it's enormous. And the competition you have at camp and how many people are there, uh, just talk about how you dealt with it. Because I can remember times sitting down with the roster and crossing off who I know was gone and, and who I was maybe playing close to as well as at, at offensive linemen. Now, I always had that that chance to be a long snapper. But when I came into the league, they didn't have just a long snapper. I, I helped usher that in. And when I left, every team had a long snapper. Uh, but the pressure to play each and every year and deal with it uh, is really significant, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I had, I had, um, you know, I had what, well, let's look at the positive side. You know, I came in as a second round pick. So I, I knew right. not to yeah, sound be there. I knew I was going to get let at least I was going to make it, I was going to make it through at least a contract. Right. Unless yeah, I did right. something completely egregious. And I, and I think I held my own. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I started, you know, four games. Um, I started at every position. I started a game at center guard tackle, and I actually started against the chargers at tight end. Uh, we started okay. the game. We started the game in a two tight end formation. So technically, 
I was on right. in the starting lineup as as a tight end. So so I, I did get I did you know, and I think when I went in as a backup, I think I held my own. I don't think I ever really um, you know I never did anything that would cause them to I never you know lost a game or or did right, anything right, like right. that or got a, a Joe Montana sacked or broke his finger with a bad snap or something. And um, so I think I held my own. I just think what happened and and and, and this is going to sound maybe more like an excuse than a reason, but I think. The ushering in of the salary cap didn't help players like me, and and right. this is going to sound like sour grapes, but it really isn't. I I know that I came in as a high pick, and 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 I know that I didn't have the pedigree to dictate where I was going to play, or or you know once I didn't establish myself as an everyday starter, I knew that my career was not going to be as long as probably I wanted it to be, unless something you know dramatic happened, and. Um, you know, the game, you know, Boogie Bell, Mike Bell, right? I'm sure you think pretty darn well his days as an ambassador. And he used to say all the time, you know, the game ends for everybody to some suitors than others. And he used to say that sometimes. And so I started to get that feeling when, you know, I, um, you know, I, I, I was, I took a free agent trip to, to Denver in when Alex Gibbs, our offensive line coach went to Denver to join Mike Shanahan. And, and, and I, I came probably minutes from signing with Denver. Because wow. I there there was talk that I could come there and, and compete and maybe even get penciled in as the starting center, but you know I loved Kansas City so much I didn't want to leave. My wife was teaching wow. there. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing I was doing the six and ten news for Len Dawson um, as his backup when when he would go to New York to do inside, inside the NFL on HBO. So I, I was I had a radio show post game radio show for two years after uh, after the games on KCFX. So. I had so much going on. I didn't want to leave and, and it wasn't right. worth that opportunity. And I, there, there was the, there was the thought that, you know, we weren't going to be able to sign both Will Shield or all three, Will Shields, Tim Gronhard and Dave Zott. Carl Peterson found a way to do it. And I wasn't going to crack the lineup at that point once they re-signed all of them. And I could see right. that I was either going to be a career backup, but anyway, long, long getting around to that whole salary cap thing. Like, you know, in 1993, which was my third year, was the year that at the end, you know, Reggie White was successful in his lawsuit against the NFL for right. unrestricted free agency, and I started thinking, you know, it's, listen, I was an economics major, right, and I still thought about all those lessons that I learned in college, and I knew that the middle class in the NFL of players who had a significant amount of experience, once you hit the four year mark, then you jumped up in salary to a point right. where you pretty much could get three first or second year guys for the price of one fourth or fifth year guy. And I started like doing the economics in my head. And and I used to talk with Lindsey Knapp about this all the time. It was another backup lineman who got traded to the Packers from Kansas City. And he had his MBA from Notre Dame. And we used to talk about it all the time about how there was going to create, uh, there was going to be a wedge that was going to be created and, and yeah. almost create a, a have and have not environment, yeah. right? Where you've got, you've got, 20% of your players making 80% of the salary. So how do you round your roster out with the rest of that remaining salary cap? Well, if 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 I'm not a four, you know, if I'm not a full-time starter, I'm a four, five, six-year veteran backup and I'm and I'm not going to be an impact player, then you know, they're going to find a first, second year, third year guy that's making yeah. half a quarter, a third of what you're making and and that's what that's the that's the tough economics of the NFL. Right. So you know, I think I think I was able to absorb that mentally and know that, you know, maybe it wasn't it was a combination of the injury, missing that preseason, and then the fact that the game was ready to move on without me. And and, you know, I've 
just pretty much came to the realization it was going to end. And, and I had no, no bitterness, no sad right. feelings about it. I just knew that it was time to move on. My wife was pregnant with triplets. You know, we, we left Kansas city. I went to St. Louis for a cup of coffee. It ended there. And then, you know, I tried out with a few teams, um, for the 97 season and nothing seemed to pan out. And I just kind of moved on and hung up the cleats and got another great piece of advice from my dad, Kendall. My dad yeah. was, he was a great tough love guy. And, uh-huh. you know, I remember calling him the day I filed my retirement papers. Right. And, and, you know, cause there's a couple of things that go with that. You can get some severance, right. You, it mm-hmm. continues your healthcare benefits, like all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to be official about it. And I called my dad, said, dad, I just filled out my retirement papers. It's pretty much over. Cause as you know, it, it's like, it, it takes yeah. an act of Congress yeah. to get back in the NFL once right. you retire. And my dad was like, oh, son, that's, that's great. He said, boy, congratulations. And, and he said, but I, you know, I need to tell you one thing. And I thought he was going to give me this unbelievable pat on the back and this mental and physical hug. And he's like, here's what I need you to remember as you go forth the rest of your life, you are nobody now. And I was like, oh, it like hit me like a ton of bricks, like like a, like a, like an upper. But he, of course, he followed up with some incredible fatherly advice and, and, and and Mm -hmm. something that was Full, full of a lot of love. He said, son, he said, you're going to have to go out into the world now and you're going to have to bring a new value. Right. And if you, if you rely on your past for just the, for, if you rely on your past because you played football, you're going to fail. Right. He said, here's where you need to rely on your past. Lessons you learned, what it takes to be successful at something. And those are the lessons. Though, that's what you have to take from your past. Not the fact that you played with Joe Montana, not the fact that you were an NFL player, because really at the end of the day, buddy, he goes, nobody cares. Right. And, 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 and Kendall, I'm telling you, it was like the best piece of advice I got because it, it just reset me to knowing that going into whatever I was going to go into, which has been, I've been in the insurance industry for the last 26 years. Every day I try to bring that same value that I was trying to bring in an NFL locker room. I try to bring it at work and it's all about bringing value. Kendall, there are probably, I work at a company of, you know, 45,000 employees and I I deal with a lot of employees and and I have a personal relationship with probably, I would say 800 to a thousand of them, like where I know them and because of, of, of reporting lines and all that stuff, I would bet Kendall, I would bet there's probably only about 200 of them that know that I played in the NFL. Right. Because you know what? I don't talk about it a lot. And and exactly. I will use analogies. I will bring things up when it's appropriate. But if right. I threw if I threw that into our client's face or into our vendor's face, mm-hmm. they would it would be good good cocktail party talk. But at the end of the day, I have to bring value to their relationship, right? right? And so you know that's how the transition happened for me. And and I knew that I needed to get to work because you know I played in an era where the money was great. Don't get me wrong; I never begrudged the money that we were able to make in 1990s dollars, but let me tell you something. It was a hair fracture, hairline fracture of what players make today. So there was not there, even as a second round pick, there was no resting on my laurels. And I, and I thought I was pretty conservative with my savings. That, right. that, that money would have been gone in two years or three years if I had not gone to work, right. And supplemented, you know, any, any of yeah. the nest egg that we had built. And so I, I got three one-year-olds at home. I'm like, I got three colleges, three, I have three daughters, I got three weddings, three proms. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, big guy, you got to get to work, man. Cause that nest egg is going to go fast. And <laughs> it, it was that kind of motivation that right. allowed me to, you know, get into the insurance industry and, and try to make an impact there.
you know, it's interesting, and, and you said, it, I mean, I always said the NFL is the best temporary job you'll ever have, and <laughs> right. and, and as you as you as you mentioned, um, I mean, it's not generational money that we make. It's good money, make no mistake, uh, but it's not generational money. So you've got to figure something else out. And I think the one thing that people often forget, and you you said it in, in a different way, which is, I mean, when you get out of the league, when you got out of the league after seven years, you're seven years behind. When I got out of the league at 15 years. Uh, I was 15 years behind, and so uh, you've done some good things, but you hope that you've taken care of your relationships because I could tell there you were talking about it, which is you're a big relationship guy, and 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 I think that's phenomenal. I'm sure that, along with a lot of things, has has really moved towards your success. Um, we could keep going, and I'm not going to end now, but you mentioned we, we've got to talk about this. I mean, you mentioned you live in Philly. Uh, we, we've got a game coming up between the Chiefs and, and Philadelphia, Monday night game when we're as we're taping this. Uh, I'm curious about that. Then the, I'm even going to go back last year when Philly and KC are in the uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, what were your thoughts? Who were you who were you rooting for? Yeah, it's it was amazing, right? Because what we decided to do for our Super Bowl party uh, at our uh-huh. house is is we decided to have cheesesteaks and hoagies on one side of the room. And we have a great place out here that makes Kansas City barbecue, not too far from uh-huh. my house here in Philadelphia. They're actually Missouri transplants. And um, so so we we had that on one side of the room and we let people's stomachs decide who they were gonna root for. Cause we have fans <laughs> on both sides here. Like even though right. my, my brother like my brother, especially my brother Tony is is uh, uh grew up he's never lived anywhere else but the house we live in now. And he's he's a diehard Chiefs fan. My cousin Steve, interesting. He he goes to and he grew up here in Philly. Uh, he worked for the Eagles and the Phillies um, it, it, most of his life part time with my uncle, who was head of uh, field security for the Phillies and for Veteran Stadium, where the Eagles used to play. And so we're, we're diehard Eagles fans, right? Grow up here and all the great names, you know, Ron Jaworski and Harold Carmichael and all those great Bill Burry right. and Papali, right? Invincible, like. But like we, they're diehard Chiefs fans. You go onto my cousin's Instagram, and everybody's in Chiefs gear. Um, and and so we we love both teams so much with so much passion. It was really hard to figure out who we were going to actually root for. And I just decided to kind of I'm just going to let the game happen. You know, I'm uh, and and I'm not going to be disappointed either way. Um, right. You know, because it, it is going to be what it is. And so it, it's been really it was difficult. I mean, there's a great bar here that I'm sure a lot of Kansas City fans and, and, and a lot of your uh, viewers and listeners know it's called Big Charlie's and it's a cheese bar oh, right yeah. here in Philadelphia and they've you know Steve, Steve Spagnuolo and you've been and Steve Spagnuolo yeah. comes and visits and Andy Reid and Dick Vermeil and all the so there's mm-hmm. so many connections and, and 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 you know you look back and I think about some of the coaches that I had that were Eagles Carl Hairston Herm Edwards oh, yeah. John Hunting then you go into Carl Peterson right who was an Eagles and Philadelphia Stars yeah. guy then you go to Coach Vermeil you go to guys like Tim Conley, who was head of business operations, who ran Bell Atlantic here in Philadelphia. You got Andy Reid, right? Yeah. You've got all the connections, and you had Doug Peterson, who was with the Chiefs, yes. and the Eagles, and like, it's crazy, it's mind blowing how many it connections is, there are. Probably more than any other two teams in the NFL. I would agree. Yeah, and and um, you know, Ron Jaworski, the Eagles, great, finished his career in Kansas City, right? Um. So anyway, long story long, like I, I, it's 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 a it's a great rivalry that that's being um, kind of um, b- born here out of these two great teams and really cool franchises. Um, you know, passionate fans, great owners who are really committed to the community, and um, right. 
you know, look, I'll, I'll always have a special place for, for the Kansas community. And, and Kendall, I say this all the time and not just to appease all the listeners and fans of Kansas city and the chiefs kingdom. But if it weren't, if it weren't for the fact that my wife and I grew up literally 10 minutes from each other and had triplets coming out of the NFL. And I say this with all sincerity, there is no doubt my wife and I would be living in Kansas city today. Right. No doubt. If like, if I were from, if, if I were from like New Jersey and she were from California or Texas and I was from Florida or whatever, and we would have absolutely stayed there. It's just, we needed the support of our family having, you know, higher order multiples and, and just, and getting back to a place where all of our family was concentrated. So I, I say that all the time, just to let people know that, you know, Kansas city is such a special place. My wife taught elementary school there. Um, we, every time we go back, we, we, t- we took my kids back this summer or, or for the alumni game. And, uh, we uh-huh. drove them all, all around to show them where, where we lived and, and all awesome. that stuff. So it, it, it is, it is a special place and it really is a, a wonderful, wonderful place to, to live and, and be, be a Chiefs fan, especially. Yeah, it, it's a pretty cool deal. And, and, you know, there's a lot of guys who end up, you know, you can go somewhere uh, else in their career for a while and they come back for exactly the reasons you said of everything about it. So, um, okay. So, you, I, you know, I talked about it. You you do some speaking. You have a podcast of your own. If, if people want to hear more from you, uh, they could they could go to 810, uh, Sports Radio 810 as well each and every week. Is that correct? Yeah, we do uh, every every uh, Tuesday at seven thirty Central Time, and uh, they they we go live on on uh-huh. eight ten uh, with Stephen St. John and Nate Bucati, and we do that uh, every Tuesday. Usually go about 20, 25 minutes. Have a blast. Have a blast yep. with that. Um, so much fun. And then um, and then they of course play that on the Border Patrol on the podcast. If anybody wanted to listen in, you know, if you're you know if that's not in your in your wheelhouse from a time perspective at seven thirty a.m. Um, and then, so, so we do that. And then, um, with a Kansas city native, Jeff Fedotin, uh, we host a podcast called believe in chiefs. It's a B L E A V. Um, and it's part of the believe network, which is a network okay. of podcasts. Uh, they have, yes. y- you name it, they have a podcast for it. And we happen right. to be uh, part of that network for believe in chiefs. And, um, I, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm on, you know, social media at Joe Valerio 73, so that kind of is a way to see the comings and goings of what I'm doing with, you know, 810 right. or, or what we're doing on our Believe podcast. I also do um, on ESPN Plus, I cover the Penn uh, home games as a, co- a color commentator. Okay. Uh, so I do that uh, for, for the for the Penn home games. ESPN Plus is, has been great for, uh, for that to get the, you know, get the get the word out for any college you want to watch. I mean, ESPN plus yeah, covers amazing. most college football these days for, for a pretty minimal subscription charge. So, so we do, uh, I do that every uh, Saturday, um, for Penn football. So those are some of the things that I've done to stay close to the game. I, I coached high school football for 11 years here in the Philadelphia area. Um, and my, my daughter started playing field hockey in college. So I, I decided to give that up, um, because I wanted to make sure I saw all of her games and, and didn't right. miss out on that. And then, and then my job changed and I started traveling a lot more. So I, I wasn't, I'm not able to get back into coaching the way that I would like to, but maybe someday. Um, so yeah, so try to stay as close to the game as I can do some motivational speaking, uh, where appropriate, um, to, you know, to kind of talk about those, that whole lineman's mentality thing and sort of some yep. of the, you know, some of the leadership stuff that I've developed over the years. And, and that's been, been a ton of fun. So it's just nice to stay active and stay connected with people and, and share those lessons that, you know, that we learn between those white lines, Kendall, just like you do, just like you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. When you know what, 
We really appreciate your time, and we're going to let you go here in a minute. But as I said, that's it for today. He is Joe Valerio. Um, just like he said, things you can catch him on. If you'd like to hear more, you can catch me on Sports Radio at 810. Also, In the Zone with Jason Anderson each and every Friday at noon during the Chiefs season. And also on KCMO Talk Radio, Mondays and Fridays at 7 a.m., Mundo in the morning, now on 95.7 FM. Uh, you can also follow me on X at Kimball Gammon. Uh, once again, as always, Beyond the Games is made possible by our generous sponsor, Miles Schneer's Crown Automotive of Lawrence, Kansas, home to Crown Toyota and Crown Volkswagen. Visit them online at crownautomotive.com to discover the crowd difference. And uh, Joe, as always, thanks again. I appreciate you hearing about everything. I'd love to come on your podcast sometime. Uh, you are a true delight, and it's, it's not hard to see why you're successful in life. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Kendall. It was so great to join you and so great to catch up with you at Alumni Weekend. And uh, count on it. You're going to get that contact to, to join Jeff uh, and me on, on our pod here real soon. That sounds good. He's Joe Valerio. I'm Kendall Gammon, and this has been Beyond the Game. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.